Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypta CEO, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, Bitcoin's next upgrade will support Tor v3 addresses. Spain lawmakers get some Bitcoin. CryptoKitties back in the news. And in our main conversation, we have on Terry Culver, CEO of Ethereum Classic Labs, to talk about Ethereum Classic's upgrades to prevent 51% attacks. Coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Today is Monday, October 12th, 2020. We have a lot of news to get to today, so I'm just going to cut through the BS and get to not only the crypto prices, but also that great conversation with Terry Culver. We talk 51% attack. We talk the future of Ethereum Classic. We talk preventative measures of what I think is one of the biggest threats to any blockchain. Let's get into those prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Now I'm recording this at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at 11000 $567 up 4.6% from last Friday. Ethereum 389 up 7% from last Friday. Litecoin 5123 up 7.2%. Chainlink 1161 up 13.3%. Again, looking in my notes at Chainlink, we're up over 28% since Wednesday last week. <laughs> That's some big moves. And XRP, 25.7 cents, up 2.7%. Total market cap for all of cryptocurrency. We're sitting at $366.6 billion with a BTC dominance of 58.4%. And FYI, Ethereum Classic is at $5.51 at a total market cap of $441 million, sitting at rank 33. And a little bit more of Bitcoin price news, by the way. 1,000 Satoshi era Bitcoin moved. That's $11 million worth of Satoshi era Bitcoin moved this weekend. Why? Who knows? If I had $11 million, hey, it would have been sitting there for that long. I promise you, if I had that much Bitcoin, it probably would have moved a long time ago before it got to $11 million. Probably around the maybe $1 to $2 million range. Anyway, it moved. What does that mean for you? Absolutely nothing. So keep hodling and aiming for the moon. Now let's get straight into our conversation with Terry Culver. I'll see you after that for more news. Terry, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thanks for having me. ETC, Ethereum Classic, had a 51% attack. Or actually, I think it was multiple 51% attacks a couple months ago uh, where hackers or attackers uh, took away millions of Ethereum. This is a vulnerability that is the, I guess, the... The vulnerability, it's the kryptonite of all crypto, of all proof of work systems is that 51% attack, getting 51% of the hashing power to be able to do what you want with the network. That is not only scary, but it's kind of disheartening. But you guys are making strides to fix this. Can you tell me about one, the attack, and two, what you're doing to correct the situation? Sure. So uh, beginning at the end of July and through August, we had three 51% attacks. As you said, uh, the attacker was able to gain more than 51% of the hash rate of the network. And with that, they were able to double spend on several different exchanges, which I think you know reveals two things. One, the fundamental weakness of proof of work systems. It's a universal challenge. And the other is exchange security. So 
you know, the space is still relatively young. And I think, you know, until uh, it matures more, you're going to see platforms where people who uh, are trying to take advantage of weak security will do so. So you guys have made strides to correct that situation where you guys are making it harder for Ethereum Classic to be 51% attack. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So on October 10th, we implemented what's called MESS. It stands for Modified Exponential subjective scoring. And this is a way that makes 51% attacks exponentially more expensive. The challenge here is that, you know, the attackers gaining 51% of the network are operating within the rules of the system. They're not breaking consensus. They're using the blockchain in the way it was designed, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Some solutions to 51% attacks actually compromise the fundamental system that blockchain creates. We didn't want to do that. And so we came up with MESS, our, our core team led by uh, Isaac, came up with this solution, which is a way to remove the profit motive that drives these kinds of attacks. Can you go into a little bit of how you would do that? What, what, is, what is it that makes it exponentially more expensive? At the moment, you know, nodes are, they have one job, right? They, uh, they look at a transaction and they say, does this go with the heaviest chain? And if so, they accept it. And that's why large reorgs, the kind of which you see in a 51% attack, are possible. Nodes aren't designed to distinguish between, you know, an attacker chain and uh, uh, an honest mining chain. And, and they shouldn't really be. Um, what we've done is we've created a system by which large reorgs need to have greater difficulty so that uh, if you're mining legitimately and you have a large reorg, you'll have that difficulty and you can present it to the, net, to the network and the nodes will accept it. If you're a malicious miner trying to reorg, the nodes will look at the size of that reorg and expect a higher degree of difficulty. You know, this is where the additional cost comes in because uh, to achieve that higher level of difficulty, you need more hash rates sustained over a longer period of time. I am always a little bit of a skeptic and I'm also a uh, more philosophical question answer. So I hope you can bear with me with uh, some of the random questions that I'm thinking after uh, learning a little bit more about your protections in the future uh, for 51% attacks. Uh, you said that, you know, it's going to be greater difficulty. And like part of the greater difficulty, of course, could be, you know, a greater hash rate, but also a, a bigger network where, you know, it's not so concentrated where, you know, there's a lot of people running nodes. If you were part of a, a blockchain, say, decentralized network, and somebody was able to get 51% attacks, wouldn't the obvious answer to that would be the network's just not big enough? Maybe it's just not a sustainable network for what we're trying to accomplish? I don't think it's the the, um, the size of the network. I mean, I, I think, you know, the Ethereum Classic Network uh, is, it's not big enough, certainly, but it's not too small. That's not where the vulnerability is. The vulnerability with Ethereum Classic is really with low hash rate. And this is a consequence of being a blockchain that shares hash, a hashing algorithm with Ethereum. And so with the growth of the Ethereum price and the profitability of mining, you have a lot of miners who have moved from Ethereum Classic over to Ethereum, leaving the hash rate f at Ethereum Classic uh, relatively low. And so the cost to attack under previous circumstances was was very low and, and I think made Ethereum Classic susceptible. It's also a, a relatively high cap blockchain that's listed on many exchanges. So there's liquidity there. 
So if you're an attacker and you see a combination of access to liquidity, a lot of exchange listings, and low hash rate, it's a good target. After the attack, Ethereum Classic Labs seeks criminal charges uh, to the people who attacked and hacked or, or taken funds or double spent Ethereum Classic tokens. You stated earlier that they used the network exactly how it was intended to be used, yet still seek criminal charges for the people who use the network how it was supposed to be used. Do you think that's fair? Oh, uh, I, absolutely. So I see this operating on, on two parallel paths. One is a technical path. Technically, if you can gain 51% of the network, then you know, you're know you operating within the terms under which the system was designed. And we've addressed the technical vulnerability with the implementation of MESS without breaking consensus or uh, you know really compromising the integrity of, of first principles. But there's a second issue here, which is non-technical, it's social. There's a social problem here if you have attackers who are using the blockchain, even if they're using it in the way it was designed, to then go and steal money from exchanges and from customers. You know, those are two completely separate things. The funds that they've stolen, they don't stay on the blockchain. They're funneled into, you know, whatever they want to do with that money. So we're not pursuing criminal charges as a way to change how blockchain works. We're pursuing criminal charges to deal with people who've done something quite simple and uh, that's been around since as long as civilization has been around, which is steel. And this space can't mature. We will never see widespread adoption or confidence from mainstream or institutional investors as long as we, participants and stakeholders in this ecosystem, allow that kind of behavior to take place. You just said confidence, confidence in this ecosystem. But what about confidence in Ethereum Classic? What do you think that this did to the confidence in the Ethereum Classic blockchain? And how is MESS going to restore that confidence for the person that wants to build on Ethereum Classic, invest in Ethereum Classic, hold the tokens, and so on and so forth? You know, I think... In terms of, of attacks with MESS, we've done something innovative that uh, addresses a universal challenge in blockchain in a way that hasn't been addressed before. In terms of immediate confidence for the security of the network, uh, we've addressed that. Long-term confidence is a complicated thing. If you are concerned about 51% attacks, you have to look at hash rate. Uh, but even then, it's still a vulnerability. Bitcoin, for example, you know, many people think it's impervious to attack, but the truth is it's not. Any state actor or non-state actor could easily attack Bitcoin for what for them would be nominal cost. So anybody who thinks that their chain is safe from attack because of high hash rate is really living in a dream world. The other issue here is, as you've mentioned, it's a fundamental vulnerability in proof-of-work systems. So to look at Ethereum Classic and to say that you can't have confidence in it because it was attacked, in a way, it's blaming the victim. I think it shows a complete misunderstanding of how these systems work. I think it shows a complete lack of regard for emerging technology and emerging markets. Uh, Ethereum Classic itself, it's resilient. It's uh, got a lot of potential and it's got a bright future. 
Thank you for that. And my, my last question actually came again, <laughs> what you just said. And uh, this will be my last question. I want to thank you for your, your time and your patience with my questions. It's not often that I get to interview Ethereum Classic and uh, a bigger chain that had a 51% attack. So I, I apologize that, that my questions are so direct. But you said it's a universal challenge that every blockchain, even Bitcoin, has the potential of being 51% attacks. I mean, well, most of the miners, 70% of Bitcoin miners are in China. So for them to rally up the, the troops and you know gain that 51% might not be too unfeasible. So I agree with you with that one. There's another thing that your the Ethereum Classic also st stated a, a while back that said rented hash rate is a big problem for blockchains. Can you talk a little bit about one rented hash rate and how this innovation that you are putting out with the, the, the blockchain in MESS can prevent bad actors with rented hash rate attacking blockchains? Sure. So the, the hash rental market on its own is not good or bad. It's, it's neutral. And you know under the best case scenario, it's actually efficient. You have miners with excess capacity who rent it out for people who can point it at a specific chain. So it's, it's a way of redistributing mining power. Um, and and that, that really can be a good thing. Uh, and it's not the fault of the hash rental market that ETC's hash rate was low. So I, I just want to be, be clear on that. I think the hash rental market needs to mature. There, there are within it, as in a lot of emerging sectors, good actors and bad actors. And I think over time, as it matures, the bad actors will get shaken out. Um, you know, I think what ha helps all proof-of-work chains is more versatility with uh, mining power. The capital cost for mining power is, for miners, is very high. And, you know, for them to be able to switch between chains, you know, is a difficult thing. For Ethereum Classic, that may have been a vulnerability in July and August, uh, but there are other points in time where it's actually been an advantage. There are other chains that don't have that advantage. So I, I think, you know, mining power is really something that we need to pay more attention to. Uh, what role do we want miners to have in the ecosystem? And what kinds of incentives can we build that create a healthy mining ecosystem, but don't undermine the blockchain itself? Terry, I want to say thank you very much for coming on, spending some time with us here on the Decrypt Daily, and uh, good luck with the rollout of MESS. And I can't wait to see the future of Ethereum Classic. Matthew, thanks so much. Great talking to you. And in other news. Ethereum project WLEO hacked for $42,000 on Uniswap. This is not the first time Uniswap has been hacked, but since that hacked WLEO's price has dropped 99%, basically it's now worthless. This will not be the last hack, but we can hope it's the last hack, but unless some serious, serious vulnerabilities in smart contracts get addressed and some serious auditing starts happening with these projects, we can expect more. Bitcoin's next upgrade will support Tor, v3 addresses tor v3 addresses offer stronger cryptography and enhanced security the old v2 addresses will become obsolete on october 15th of 2021 and they will be disabled earlier this week the chamber of digital congress sent every u.s representative and senator 50 dollars in bitcoin which basically doesn't even get you a round of beers in washington dc but hey you know what? i'll still take it now, very reminiscent to the U.S. campaign, a Spanish cryptocurrency company sent Spanish legislators Bitcoin as well. 
The project is similar to the Crypto for Congress, an educational campaign to teach lawmakers about digital currency. However, the Spanish campaign only got one euro in Bitcoin. I would have to say it's not even enough to be useful. It's not even enough to make a blip because who's going to care? If I had 50 bucks in a wallet, maybe I would figure out how to play with it, take it out, buy some beers. But with one euro, I could probably care less. However, pretty cool. I wonder if this is even legal for them to accept that money. Hmm, interesting. And CryptoKitties is back in the news. Not even worth it for me to talk about because why CryptoKitties? They're NFTs, non-fungible tokens, they're cats that breed to make more cats on the blockchain, and they sell for a crazy amount of money. They just raised $18 million in Flow Crypto token sale. Okay, why are we still talking about this? I apologize for even bringing this up. If you want to know more, link is in the description. And finally, this message comes straight from the top. The U.S. Treasury Inspector General for the Tax Administration says the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, isn't pulling its weight and must do more to get cryptocurrency exchanges who are also not pulling their weight to send the correct tax forms to their customers who are grossly misreporting tax returns. So here's what's supposed to happen. Cryptocurrency exchanges should provide you with a 1099 form which outlines all of your transactions you place on their exchanges. What really happens is tax season comes and if you want to play ball and you want to do everything right, you have to find their API codes and link them to some crazy ass random app or some paid service online. Try to sync up and go through line by line with all of your transactions all over whatever exchange you can remember you even used throughout the year or two years or whenever. That's actually what is happening. The second thing they say is the IRS hasn't issued any guidance clarifying the proper information reporting associated with virtual cryptocurrency transactions. And the third one is, is it's that it's very damn difficult for exchanges to compile a 1099 because not all exchanges talk to each other. They're not as, as transparent. Coinbase might be cool, might be able to talk to Gemini, but it can't talk to Uniswap. <laughs> Probably not. What about Binance.us? Are they the same? What about Kraken? What about Sushi? What about other food exchange that's going to pop up next week? Taco. Taco Dex. That's another big problem. But the fact is, pay your taxes. Once we get closer to the end of the year, I will for sure put out a tax guideline episode highlighting what you should do, how to do it, and the laws associated with it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. If you have not, please go to the Apple Podcast, subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible. If you feel that we're going into something good with this space, we're at $11,500 Bitcoin right now. So... Is it going to go to 12? Do you think your mom, your dad, your cousin, your aunts, your brothers and sisters are going to want to get into this space? Do you want to give them the best information and daily news possible to navigate this space? Well, it's going to take us being more visible. So please share, subscribe, and rate. I'll see you tomorrow. Happy Halloween.